0: Hi all, my name's Lloyd, as was just said, and today we're going to be looking at Joshua 23, so please follow with me on your handouts. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, "'I am very old.' You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, without turning aside to the the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day no one has been able to withstand you, One of you routs a thousand, because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you.
1: Thanks, Lloyd. Um, If you've got that uh, passage in front of you uh, in Joshua 23, either in a handout or in a Bible, uh, keep that open and we'll have a look at it together. In 2 Timothy 4, as the Apostle Paul, he'd lived a long life and he approached the end of his life. He was close to death. He wrote these words. He said, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure, for my death, is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that on your deathbed? Wouldn't you love to be able to say, I'm almost there. The finish line's right in front of me. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now look, here it is right on the doorstep. Look what Jesus has in store for me. I mean, I would would love to be able to say that on my deathbed. I mean, who, who wouldn't? And yet, sadly, there are many people who start the race, and they start the race well, but they don't finish. There are many who start strong, but partway through the race, they take their eyes off Jesus and they walk away. Our mission here at Christian Union is to proclaim Jesus at UWA, to present everyone mature in him. Present everyone mature in him when? On the final day. That is to say, our goal, our mission is to see as many people as possible standing firm on that last day, Having fought the good fight and finished the race. And yet, sadly, there are many who seem to be going strong for Jesus while they're at uni, and over the years we've seen this sadly, time and time again. But then years down the line, they walk away from the faith. It's tragic whenever you see it. And and Lord willing, they'll come back to him. It's not necessarily the end for them, there's still time. Uh, but the consequences are eternal. And so the question for us today now, the question question for you is, what will it take for you to finish the race? What will it take for you to get to the finish line having kept the faith, to keep trusting in Jesus? Uh, What would it look like for you to live sold out for Jesus, uh, not just now and next year, but for decades to come? Because I want to know the answer to that, because I want that. Well, this semester we've been doing a series of Bible talks from uh, the book of Joshua. And today, as we come to the final installment of that series before we move to Easter next week and then spend the back half of the semester in Revelation, as we come now to the final installment of Joshua, the burning question is whether God's people will keep running the race. Uh, Joshua himself, as we approach chapters 23 and 24, is nearing death. I don't know if you noticed there in the reading, verse 14, he said, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He means I'm going to die. And he urges God's people as he approaches death. He says, keep going, keep loving God, keep living for him. And so as we look at what Joshua says to them, it's got a lot to teach us today as followers of Jesus, as God's people in the new covenant about how we can finish the race as well. So we're going to be looking mainly at Joshua chapter 23. Um, so if you've got that open in front of you, that's great. We'll have a look at it together. But first, you've got to see where it fits within the, biggest, uh, within the bigger picture. Uh, if, if you've been with us so far this semester, uh, you'll know that we've seen uh, Israel, how they came out through the desert after wandering for 40 years in the desert. Uh, they came out around uh, Edom and camped near the Jordan River, ready to cross over into the Promised Land, which is the Green Territory. We saw them send spies into Jericho where they found Rahab and she was saved by God's grace. We saw them cross the river on dry ground, a great miracle to God to remind his people that he's with them. And take the first two cities, Jericho and Ai, we saw that last week. Now all that happened in Joshua chapters 1 to 8. And then in the rest of Joshua from chapter 9 all the way up to where we are now, God gives them victory after victory against overwhelming odds as they take the whole promised land and settle there. Joshua 21 sums it up this way. It says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he'd sworn to give to their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he'd sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Uh, So, just as uh, God uh, promised his people a land of their own, and if you were with us last year on campus, we looked at Genesis 12, where God made that promise uh, to, to Abraham. Now, all these centuries later, here it's telling us that God has fulfilled that promise. The Israelites finally have a land of their own. Everything's looking good. You're getting ready for the fairy tale finish, and you can say they happily live. They lived happily ever after. And yet, have a look in verses one to five of Joshua 23 at what Joshua says. Joshua 23, verses one to five. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials. And said to them, I'm very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I've allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain. The nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you. And you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Now, notice again that he's emphasising the promises of God. And that God is a God who has kept his promises up until this point. They've got good reason to trust that God will keep fulfilling his promises. But the key question now that Joshua turns to is, will the Israelites, will God's people, live in the light of God's promises? Will they keep running the race? Let's check it out. Have a look at the very next verse and your Bible will hand out with me. Verses 6 to 11. This is what Joshua says to them. He says, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So, therefore, be very careful to love the Lord your God. Okay, so there are a few important things for us to notice here. Uh, Firstly, this is a a key lesson that Joshua wants to drive home for them, but it's a great lesson for us as well, is that living for God for the long haul, finishing the race, doesn't happen automatically. We don't finish the race if we just drift, you know, and hope that we can just sit in the barrel on this long, slow downhill that will take us to the end of the marathon. No, it takes effort and intentionality. Uh, Did you see it there? Like, have a look in verse 6. He starts off, he says, be very strong, be careful. Be careful to obey all that's written in the law. He's saying it takes strength to keep following God. Or similar idea there in verse 11. Do you notice he says, be very careful to love the Lord your God. I've got to say, that might seem a little bit counterintuitive. Be very careful to love God? How can we be careful to love something? Like, I either either love Chinese food or I don't. I, I'm not very careful uh, to make sure I love it. Uh, isn't love something that's meant to be spontaneous, instinctive and natural? That just should happen organically without uh, taking, taking work or effort? Well, when we think of relationships, I think that's certainly the shallow view of love that we often see in our culture, isn't it? If you fall out of love with someone, then you should just leave them and find someone else. If you love them, great. But if you don't love them anymore, well, then find someone that you do love, who can fulfill you. But no, the biblical view of love is much deeper and richer than that. It's something you commit to even when you don't feel like it. I've been married to my wife, Alex, for about eight years now. And, and I would say confidently that we love each other more now than we did eight years ago when we first, or nine years ago when we first started dating. Uh, Maybe less butterflies in the stomach, but a much deeper love. But that deeper love has taken a lot of work. It's taken intentionality and care and proactivity. It's required both of us to be mindful about the things that might draw our hearts away from each other or that might draw our hearts to each other. Uh, it means it's meant not just listening to our hearts, which is what our society often says just do what comes naturally, listen to your heart. No, it's taken, it's required guarding our hearts, being mindful of what will, guard, what will drive our heart in different directions. Not just doing what comes naturally, but being careful to cultivate our affections for each other and building a strong marriage. And that's what Joshua is saying to the Israelites. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. Be thoughtful. Be mindful. Invest in your relationship with God. Be mindful of the things that will draw your heart away from him. Be mindful of the things in your life that will draw you closer to him. And if you look at it, Joshua actually specifically mentions two shaping influences that they, the Israelites, and we need to be aware of. Two forces Uh, One that will draw our heart towards God and one that will draw us away from him. Two forces that have the potential to shape our character and convictions and priorities and our lives. And therefore, two forces that have the potential to shape our eternal destinies. Did you notice what they are? The first shaping influence is God's word. Look there in verse six. Be very strong. Be careful to obey. Yes, which we've already seen. But be careful to do what? Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. We might be wondering, what exactly does he mean by that? Uh, well, the book of the law of Moses refers to the first five books of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, now, the sixth book of the Bible is Joshua, uh, but of course, that one wasn't written yet. So when he says, pay attention to, the, to obey the book of the law of Moses, he's saying, pay attention to God's word, to the Bible. Not just And notice he doesn't just say, pay attention to it and be careful to learn it. What does he say? Be careful to obey it. Yeah. So he doesn't just want intellectual knowledge, although that's certainly included in it because you can't obey what you don't know. He actually wants them to be shaped by it. He wants their lives to be changed by it. If they're going to keep loving God and living for God after Joshua dies, he says they've got to be careful to allow themselves to be shaped by God's word. That's the first shaping influence. The second is the world. The world. The world around them, the peoples who didn't yet worship the one true God. Look there in verse 7. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. And look in your handouts at verse 12 where he, he expands on this idea. He says, but if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they, the people of this world who don't worship God, they'll become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So, did you see this other influence that he's warning them to be careful of? this other shaping force that could influence their hearts and draw them away from God? It's the world around them. The danger is that God's people be influenced to just want to fit in and be like everyone else, to start worshipping the same gods as the people around them. And God says if they do that, then they will become a snare to them, something that slowly pulls them away until they perish from the good land that God wants to bless them in. So for God's people living back then, there were two shaping forces that were competing, pulling their hearts in opposite directions. God's word was pulling them closer to God, and the world was pulling them further away. And the question was, as they kept running the race, which would they allow to have a more powerful shaping influence on them? Which would they give more attention to? Which would they allow to capture more of their time, their thoughts, their actions? Will they be careful to pay attention to God's word, to allow it to shape them, to meditate on it day and night? As God says in Joshua 1 verse 8, he says, meditate on God's word day and night. Keep it frequently before you so that it shapes you. And will they be careful to guard themselves that they might, against the ways they might be influenced by the world around them? Now, in so many ways, those are the same questions that we face today as God's people, aren't they? For those of us who are followers of Jesus. As God's people living in a world that is opposed to him, it's like being in a river that is flowing downstream. Our culture and our media and indeed our own sinful hearts are all pulling us away from God. And because that water is always moving downstream, there's no treading water. There's no staying still. Because if we're not actively swimming against that current, then every day we're getting f- further and further pulled, we're becoming more like the world around us. We don't even realize it, but it's it's carrying us in its current and shaping us and influencing us in ways that we often don't even realize. It's the scariest thing. So what does it look like to actively swim against the current? Well, it means that we've got to actively recognise and resist the ways that the world is discipling and shaping us to try to try to lessen that influence in our lives, to be wary of it, to be careful, like Joshua is saying. And it means we've got to actively avail ourselves of God's word and more intentionally allow it to shape us. Now, here's a question that it's worth asking. Which of those arrows has been having a bigger shaping influence on your life in the last week? It's a very hard question to answer. It's very hard to quantify, isn't it? Are you spending more time each day and each week being shaped by God's word word, or by the world? It's a very hard question to answer. Uh, In fact, studies show us uh, time and time again that us humans are pretty bad at estimating the amount of time that we actually uh, spend doing things. I know that's certainly true for me. So let's try and make this a little easier. Um, pull out your phone if you've got it on you. Uh, this is not a drill. Uh, normally during a Bible talk, not a good idea to have be looking at your phone, but, but pull it out. Uh, let's break that rule together. Um, pull, it, pull it open and go to settings. Go to the settings in your phone. Now somewhere in your settings should be you should be able to find a record of your app usage time for the last week. Now, you don't need to show this to anyone else. This is just for you. So, you know, don't be peeking over the shoulder of the person next door to you. But open up your settings. And if you're like me, in the settings, if you scroll down, uh, digital well-being. If you're on, you know, an old Nokia clamshell, uh, God bless you. You can just uh, s- listen along as we go. That's totally fine. Uh, if you're an Android, go to digital well-being. And then you'll see like a pie chart. Click on that pie chart and it'll show you the last week and the number of uh, time you spent on your phone in general, and apps in particular. If Samsung, it's in device care and battery. If you're one of the elite members of society, a member of the ruling class who's on an Apple device, uh, it's under screen time, um, somewhere in there. I'm not sure I wasn't able to gain access to one of those uh, covered devices. Um, So what what I want you to do, just on your own, see if you can roughly add together. Maybe just take yesterday as a representative sample I know it won't be perfectly representative or take a day from the weekend and try to roughly add together the amount of time you spent on social media, YouTube, Netflix, other streaming apps, um, add, add, add any gaming apps, that kind of thing in there. Now, again, you don't share this with anybody. This is just for each of us in our own self-awareness, but add it up. Now, it's worth knowing as you do that, that on average, uh, uni, uni students spend on average about three hours a day on social media plus another three hours of uh, streaming video of some kind. So about six hours a day total. Now, some of you might be a lot more than that. Some of you might be a lot less. That's how averages work. Um, But let's think about that for a moment. In light of what we've seen from Joshua and and the two shaping influences on the heart of God's people, let's think about that. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but... uh, a lot of us are spending maybe five minutes in the Bible each day, um, or some days maybe not at all, um, while we're spending five hours or more on social media, YouTube, streaming, gaming, and so on. Now, let's even be generous and say that we're averaging um, half an hour a day uh, in God's Word. And again, it might be more for you, uh, but we're talking about averages. Think about that for a moment. Half an hour a day being shaped by God's Word versus six hours a day being shaped by the world, day after day after day, which do you think is going to have a stronger shaping influence on the kind of person that you're going to be in five years? Which do you think is going to have a a stronger shaping influence on your thought life? On what you care about? On what you think about? First thing in the morning when you wake up, last thing when you go to bed. Which is going to have a stronger influence on what you prioritise when it comes to life decisions? Which is going to more powerfully shape your character and the woman or man of God that you'll be in 10 years? Which will have a stronger influence on your shaping your affections and your loves and what matters most to you? A few minutes being shaped by God's word or hours upon hours being shaped by the world, day after day after day, now, I've got to say, this is not to judge or to condemn at all. We're all in the same boat here. I struggle with this too, 100%. This isn't to judge at all, but it's rather to help us be self-aware. It's to help us be aware of what is actually shaping us. To be aware of the forces that this very week, this very day, have been shaping and influencing our character and the direction of our lives often without us even realising that it's happening. Now, of course, uh, not all these forces are captured by your app usage. Um, it's not just uh, personal Bible reading either. Um, it's, it's all of life. And so uh, being here at public meeting is an hour of your week where you're being just that little bit more shaped by God's Word. Being in small group or at an equip elective or at your church, if it's one that teaches the Bible, or at a church small group, those are all wonderful ways, aren't they, That we not only individually, but gather with others uh, to allow God's word to shape us. So there are all kinds of life this applies to. uh, All ways that we can seek to to be very strong, as Joshua puts it, and be careful to love the Lord our God. So it's not only our phones that matter, it's all of life, uh, but our phones are a big part of it for a lot of us. And if we're not aware of the powerful shaping influence they're having, I think we're in real spiritual danger. And so it's worth asking, how might you be careful about how your phone is shaping you? I showed to one student last week who mentioned that they're actually already tracking and intentionally limiting the amount of time that he spends on his phone. In fact, the conversation came up and we were like, oh, I wonder how much the average uni student spends on his phone. And he said, oh, for me this last week, it's been an hour and a half. I thought, wow, so he's already gotten awareness because he knows how much this shapes him to be thoughtful about how he's using it. Isn't that encouraging? And so this is a suggestion that's pretty countercultural. It's easy for us to track these things. It's inbuilt to our phones now. What if you made it your habit to spend more time engaging with God's word in a given day than you did on social media, streaming and other apps? What if you said, if, it's, if I spend one hour a day doing that, I'll do one hour in God's word Three hours in that, I'll spend three hours uh, in, in God's word. Now, if you, um, that might sound like a lot, but, you know, think about it. If you've got a 45-minute commute to unit each way and you spend that time listening to audio Bible, listening to a sermon podcast from the Gospel Coalition or somewhere else, a good gospel-centered sermon, that's an hour and a half of your day just from your commute that you've spent absorbing, thinking, meditating on God's word. There's so many ways that we could attack this. So find whatever works best for you. But I think if, we, if we're going to finish the race, if we're going to fight the good fight and keep fixing our eyes on Jesus, we want to be mindful of the ways that we're being shaped. Okay, so in our passage today, Joshua is urging God's people to be aware of, these, of the means of perseverance, the things that will shape them one direction or the other. But what about the motivation? What is going to motivate them to keep running the race and to live in light of God's promises? Well, check it out. Have a look in your Bibles with me at Joshua 23, verses 14 to 16. Here's what Joshua says. He says, Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. You know, Israelites, with all your heart and soul, that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the bad things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from the good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good Land he's given you. Now, those verses, in those verses, Joshua highlights uh, God's faithfulness to his promises, but it's not unambiguously good news that God is faithful to his promises, is it? He draws attention to God's being faithful in his promise to bring blessing, but also faithful in his promise to bring judgment. On those who rebel against him. Uh, Back in Deuteronomy 28, God promised the people that if they kept trusting in Him and living for Him and leaning on Him, uh, He would bless them in the land that He was giving them. But He also promised, He gave them His word, that if they rebelled against them, Him, He would bring judgment on them and they would perish from the good land that He was giving them. So God's faithfulness to His promises is really good news because it means you know what you're getting. But it is a double-edged sword, isn't it? He's faithful to his promise to bring blessing, but also he's promised to bring judgment on those who reject him. And this is the same for us in the new covenant as followers of Jesus. Uh, We see God's faithfulness to his promises to bless his people. We see them ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, God sent Jesus to bear the penalty of our sin, so that if we trust in him, he will pour out his blessing on us that we can live with him eternally. God is faithful to his promises to bless those who trust in Jesus. And so if you get to that final day, you can be as confident as Paul was, as we saw at the beginning, that if you're trusting in Jesus, you can be 100% confident you will receive God's blessing. But in Jesus, God has also promised not only to bring blessing on those who trust in him, but also to bring judgment on all who disown him. In Acts 17, 29 to 31, it says, Therefore, this is Paul preaching to the Athenians at the Areopagus. He says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, which is how the Greeks thought of it, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, which simply means to turn back to God, turn away from sin and turn back to God. Verse 31, 4 God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. How will God judge people on the last day? Firstly, he will judge with justice. It will be perfect, proportionate, measured and right. Everyone who sees it will go, yes, God, this was just, this was good. And secondly, God will judge the world by the man he's appointed, which he gave evidence of by raising him from the dead, which of course is referring to Jesus. Jesus is not only the Saviour who saves us from our sins when we trust in him, but he's also the risen Lord who will one day return to bring judgment on all who have rejected or disowned him. So God's faithfulness to his promises in Jesus is a double-edged sword. Second Timothy two eleven to thirteen it says: Here is a trustworthy saying: If we died with Jesus, we will also live with Him. If we endure, finish the race, we will, we will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, walk away from Jesus, He will also disown us. If we are faithless, we stop trusting in Jesus, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. If we are faithless, if we stop putting our trust in Jesus, then God will remain faithful to his promises to bring judgment. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny his own character. When he speaks, you can take it to the bank. If we disown Jesus, Jesus promises elsewhere in Matthew 10, he will disown us just as he promised. And so, friends, this is is quite heavy stuff, isn't it? In Jesus, God is faithful to his promises, both to bring blessing and judgment. And you can see how these realities motivate us in the daily fight to live for Jesus, to swim against the current, to be careful about our daily decisions and what we're allowing to shape us. God's promises remind us of the eternal realities that are at stake. They remind us of the grace of God who has done so much for us in Jesus to open the way for us to receive blessing. And so when we fix our eyes on the promises of God, it motivates us to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith, to be careful to love the Lord our God and live for him in light of all that he has done for us in Jesus. Uh, So let me uh, lead us in praying for God's empowering grace to do just that. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you as a faithful God who keeps your promises. You are just and you are merciful. I Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus to take the punishment for our rebellion so that even, even the many ways that we've rebelled against you, if we trust in Jesus, we can receive your eternal blessing. But Father, help us to take the warnings of your word seriously. I thank you that you love us enough to warn us against going astray from you. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to be mindful of the ways, of the things that we do in our life. Help us to be more shaped by your word and what we see and how it points us to Jesus than we are by the world around us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. i will like Josh up to finish this up.
0: Uh, Yeah, thanks all. So that uh, concludes public meeting for this week. Um, Yeah, it's great to have uh, you with us. Um, Yeah, feel free to hang around afterwards. Um, Some people might be going to the ref outside. Um, But yeah. Thanks a lot.